All right. Well, if you have a Bible with you here this morning, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Ephesians. And while you're doing that, I feel like I have to show the picture now. Uh, right? So this is uh, my son Jude drawing a picture of me up here. So that was kind of fun. The words are very loud <laughs> in the picture, so I'm a pretty loud person. But, um, but yeah, last, or a few weeks ago, we started this new series, as Joy referenced, called Onward We Stumble. And we're going to be here for another month or so. And what we're doing in this series is we are looking at the various things um, in our Christian faith that really kind of cause us to, to stumble and to stumble onward. Uh, we just heard last week how Noel preached on anxiety and, and how thinking about our money in our worldly possessions, uh, our, when our minds are transfixed on that, that often produces in us more anxiety than it does peace. And while that heightened sense of anxiety and worry is often a place that we find ourselves, this morning we're actually going to swing the pendulum to the other side of that, and we're going to talk about apathy. Apathy is that state of just not really caring about anything, right? It's that absence of enthusiasm, or an absence of emotion. It's a lack of interest or concern for things that other people would find moving or find exciting. You know, we describe the feeling of apathy with a three-letter word, meh, (laughs) right? And we actually use that word so much in our phones that there's replacement emojis for that word. There's three of them. These are the emojis right here. Yeah, (laughs) that is the state of apathy right there. That's how we're feeling. But that state of indifference or apathy, it's actually very prevalent um, in people today. And you can kind of see it just in how much it's being talked about in news stories and in articles. Newsweek, uh, the cover story of Newsweek, this week actually, uh, they came out with this article talking about how record numbers of younger people are opting out of college and opting out of work. And then they attribute this really to just apathy. The article says this, advocates say they've noticed significant apathy and disengagement among the young adults they work with in thinking about their post-high school lives, the likely result of lingering trauma and isolation. Time Magazine published an article earlier this year with the title, It's Harder Than Ever to Care About Anything. (laughs) And the author described the feeling of going into 2022, January, uh, when the new year happened, uh, he described it in this way. He says, the, the year opened with a resounding this? Still? Call it apathy. Call it indifference. Call it the great whatever. It was the dominant vibe with which this year began. You know, apathy, it can often impact various areas of our lives. It can, it can affect our work, our friendships, our hobbies, our community engagement, our marriage, our our parenting. If you took stock of your life this morning, you may realize that there are some areas of your life that you've just resigned to that great whatever. Something we need to realize, too, is that our spiritual lives are not immune to apathy. A poll from LifeWay Research came out earlier this year, and it revealed how spiritual apathy, according to pastors, was the number one challenge facing the church. A thousand pastors were, were polled uh, all over the country, sharing their thoughts on the church, and spiritual apathy was a bigger issue than criticism they got from their members, from political views, and from strong opinions about non-essentials, the things that just don't really matter very much. We can often find ourselves in that place where we just really don't care 
about our spiritual lives very much. There's just an absence of emotion, an absence of enthusiasm when it comes to what God is doing in our lives or in the lives of other people. And I think it's, that's the way that we stumble. We stumble when our love for Christ is neglected. When the things we do as followers of Jesus are not aligned with the love and devotion we have to him. You know, we're not alone in this. Throughout the Bible, uh, we see encouragement. We see exhortation both to individuals and to churches to keep running the race, to stay strong in our faith. And there's a lot of verses we could go to. Uh, We can jump all over uh, this morning, and we're going to, but we're actually going to really focus on one church in particular in the New Testament, and that's the church in Ephesus. That's why I had you flip to the book of Ephesians. But a little bit of context before we get there. The city of Ephesus, it was a very prominent city in the first century. It was, uh, it was an ancient port city, and it was really considered to be one of the most important Greek cities and trading centers in the Mediterranean region. And Ephesus was known for a few things. Uh, it, was, it was a big metropolis, but it was really known for its temple of Artemis. This was one of the seven wonders of the world. It's no longer standing today. But that temple, it symbolized what Ephesus was all about what they worshiped. They worshiped the goddess Artemis, who they believed to be this goddess that would provide them with food and with children and with health and vitality. See, Ephesus was a very strategic city for the first Christians to go to because so many people flowed in and out of that city. So if the gospel took root there, it was going to go to other parts of the world. We hear about the the church in Ephesus first in the book of Acts. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, it's in the New Testament. It's a 30-year book of the Bible. It spans 30 years, really showing the the birth of the church and the movement of the gospel going out. And In chapter 1, after Jesus ascends into heaven and after he had resurrected from the dead and and appeared to the disciples, the, the gospel goes out in this really powerful way. But then in Acts 28, the book ends with the Apostle Paul sharing the gospel in Rome with people. But 30 years in the book of Acts shows the gospel going everywhere. And in Acts 19, that's where we see what happened in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul had gone there with some of his friends, and he spent months talking with the Ephesian people about Jesus, convincing them of the gospel. And so much so that Acts 19 and 20, this is the effect this had. It said that the word of the Lord flourished. And it prevailed. And while some people in Ephesus became Christians, they respond favorably, a lot of people were extremely upset. Because what happened was as people came to faith in Jesus, they stopped worshiping Artemis. They stopped going to the temple. They stopped buying these little Artemis bobblehead (laughs) kind of uh, idols that people would buy and that they would worship. Not really bobbleheads, but maybe, I don't know. Um, But they would buy them and they would put them in their house and they would worship Artemis in their homes. But the Christians wouldn't do that anymore. And this new reality caused a riot to break out in the city where hundreds of Ephesian people were dragging Christians into the amphitheater and they were chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk comes in to save the day. (laughs) And you know what they say? They're like, everybody, chill out. Paul and his friends are wrong. Right? Like, Jesus, no. It's Artemis all the way. And they were wrong there. But this is just a summary. You can read Acts 19 this week. It's a crazy scene. But it's in this city where Christians are being mobbed, where citizens were becoming belligerent and violent towards the gospel. There was a church there. And that church 
was filled with Christian people in Ephesus, once worshipers of Artemis, now worshipers of Jesus. And the community began to grow. Paul helped that church get started, but he didn't stick around because his job was to go to new places, start churches, raise up elders, and then leave, and that's what he did. But about 10 years after the Ephesian church was planted, he wrote them a letter. And that letter he wrote them is the book of Ephesians we have in our New Testament. And look at what Paul says to these people, that many people he knew 10 years earlier as they became Christians. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I love how Paul introed his letter uh, to this community of people, how he described them. He says, to the faithful saints. Something that marked this church in Ephesus was their faithfulness, their faithful love and service to Jesus. And Paul, he would hear about this through his travels all over. The reputation of the Ephesian church, it was, ex- it was extremely positive. And we see in the next 11 verses, Paul, he, he then reminds all of them of these blessings they have because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Look at some of the things he says. They had every spiritual blessing in the heavens. They were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. They were predestined to be adopted sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. In Christ, they had redemption. They had an inheritance. They were sealed with the Holy Spirit as a down payment for what God had blessed them with. You know what's so encouraging to me about why Paul spends so much time here reminding the Ephesians of these things is because what they believe was really important. And all those things Paul laid out, it actually wasn't just for the Ephesian church. It's for any Christian. All of those truths in Ephesians chapter 1 are true for us if we've put our faith in Christ. We can rest in all of those same things today. But it's after that really long list, I want us to pay attention to what Paul commends the Ephesian church for, what he says he's so proud of in them. This is verses 15 and 16. This is why, Paul writes, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you. As I remember you in my prayers, reports had come to Paul that the church in Ephesus, they were remaining strong in their faith, in their love for one another. And this is a really important thing to remember because remember the context. This was over a 10-year period in Ephesus, a city where if you were a Christian, you were considered an enemy to the goddess they worshipped, you were an enemy to their economy, and to their livelihood as Ephesian people. But the church was still there. And the church wasn't just hanging on. It was thriving. When Paul would pray, his heart would be so thankful for the Ephesians. He would thank God over and over again for them. And we see his thankfulness for two things in particular. When he would pray, he said, God, thank you so much for their faith and for their love for one another, for the fellow saints. When you think about the Ephesian people to Paul, is there anyone in your life like that that comes to mind? Someone that God has put in your life that is just an example for you of faith, of love for the saints. You know, the person that comes to mind for me is my wife, Danielle. 
You know, I am so thankful and blessed that I get to watch her live out her faith every single day. And, and that I get to see the love she has for other people. You know what that does for me? That's a catalyst for my own faith. And my thankfulness to God grows because of her, because of her faith and what God is doing in her life. If you have someone in your life like that, I would encourage you this week, tell them. Even if you haven't seen them, <laughs> five or ten years, shoot them a text. Not one of those meh emojis, but, but send them some actual words and say, hey, I'm so thankful for you. Your faith is an encouragement to me. The way that you love people, I'm so thankful to God for that. Because encouragement like that, it's always worthwhile. Imagine what the Ephesian Christians would have thought reading this letter from Paul. Wow, Paul thinks that of us, of our faith, of our love for one another. See, those two things, faith and love, those are to be really what Christians are known for, what churches are known for. This is the core of who we are. We love God and we love people. And consistently pursuing those things, that's going to result in spiritual vitality, not spiritual apathy. And we see this years after the Ephesian church had started. They're still reflecting Jesus well. What's actually unique about the Ephesian church is that this isn't the last time we see them referenced in the Bible. About 30 years after the letter of Ephesians was written, the apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. And John wrote this as he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Uh, John was imprisoned on this island far away because he was doing what Paul was doing, and he was doing what the Ephesian Christians were doing. He was sharing the gospel with anyone that he met, and he was imprisoned for it. But as he was there... Jesus appeared to him, and he gave him a vision. It was a revelation regarding future things. You know, if you spent any time reading the book of Revelation, you may get lost pretty quickly because it, it can be daunting, right? There's signs and there's symbols and visions that are all communicating truth about the end. But that's actually not all that's in the book of Revelation. In the first three chapters, Jesus lays out for John some specific instructions he wants them to, he wants them to write to seven different churches. And one of those churches was the church in Ephesus, the same church that began back in Acts 19 that got that letter of Ephesians from Paul 10 years after. So this is 30 years after the letter of Ephesians was written, okay? Here is Jesus' message for the church in Ephesus. This is Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, thus, thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So here's the message. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary." So, so far, it's extremely positive, right? It's very similar to what Paul had written 30 years earlier. They were doing a great job of testing false teachers who were trying to come in and share different doctrine. They were persevering. They were enduring hardships. And the fact that they were still a church in Ephesus 40 years after they were planted was a testament to that. There's a lot of encouragement happening. But in verse 4, we see the encouragement become a rebuke. Look at what it says in verse 4. But I have this against you, church in Ephesus. 
you have abandoned the love you had at first. So another word for abandon there is forsaken, or it's the word left. This church had forgotten their first love. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, it it feels out of place (laughs) for me. It doesn't really make sense as to why that's there, given all the encouragement they received in the first three verses. How can they have abandoned their first love with all the commendation they had received? How can that be true if they were still enduring hardships, if they were persevering, if they weren't growing weary? Those two things don't seem to connect. But what I think this verse is getting at is this, is that our outward actions can often be out of sync with our inward affections. Our outward actions, the things that we do, can often be out of sync with what we believe, where our hearts are. We can commit to doing the right things without believing the right things. Our commendable behavior can be carried out more for appearances rather than a deep love and affection we have for Jesus. We can focus too much on measuring ourselves by what we continue to do rather than remembering and resting in what's already been done for us by another person. See, I think when we exist in that out-of-sync-ness for a long time, I think the result of that is spiritual apathy. We just go through the motions of our faith. We open the Bible sporadically just to check the box that we read the word that day. Instead of, we're we're getting to know God more deeply when we open it. We attend church out of the duty of doing the right Christian thing, rather than the delight we have of worshiping the living God with fellow believers. Maybe we give out of compulsion, rather than out of the deep gratitude of God's generosity toward us. See, none of us are immune to those things. Each of those realities can be true for any follower of Jesus at multiple points in our life. Because a life of faith, it's not just like this. It's like this, right? It's peaks and valleys. We have times where it's so clear how God is at work in us and that he's with us and we're so encouraged. But then there's other times where we wonder where he is at all. Is God still with me? Does he even care? All throughout the scripture, we see in every moment a love for Jesus. That is to be the engine that drives our faith, our belief in him. Look at some of the things he said. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28, a scribe had come up to Jesus, and he had tested him with a question. And look at how Jesus answered. This is Mark 12, verse 28. One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, Jesus, which command, which thing that I do is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. John chapter 14, Jesus was spending time with his disciples the night before he was going to be crucified. And this is what Jesus leaves his disciples with. John 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, 
you will keep my commands. Verse 21, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. And then verse 23, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8, this is uh, the apostle Peter writing to Christians. He had said, though you have not seen him, meaning not seen Jesus. This was to Christians who hadn't seen Jesus when he was alive. You love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. This is just a few of many verses we see where our love, our affections, our worship of Jesus, these things really matter. You know, a couple weeks ago, I preached a message uh, in this series, and when we were, we were all confronted with that first question uh, that God asked Adam and Eve after they had sinned. He had gone in the garden, and he was looking for them, and he said, where are you? You know, that question, it resonates even with me today when it comes to this topic of, of spiritual apathy. Where are you? Are you currently living in a state of just spiritual meh? You know, for me, when I, when I think about it, you know, I often need other questions to help really focus me and, and whether or not, like, this could be true of me right now. Here's some questions that I've been thinking about that I would encourage you to think about, too. Is there a lack of concern or enthusiasm for what God is doing in your life? Are you interested in what God is doing in the lives of other people around you? Does the mission of God helping lost people come to faith in Jesus, does that stir something up in you? While we don't know how the Ephesian church would have answered those questions specifically, we do know that the love they were commended for 30 years earlier had faded. They had abandoned their first love. Their outward actions were out of sync with their inward affections. But God, in his kindness, didn't leave them there. He gives them a solution to their spiritual apathy. It's in the very next verse. They're given an exhortation, a clear pathway back to a life of rekindled love and faithfulness to Jesus. It's Revelation 2, verse 5. This is what it says. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. The solution for the church in Ephesus, for anyone who's abandoned the love of Christ that they had, it's three things. Remember, repent, and react. The text says do the works, but I like alliteration. Okay, so we're going to go with R, react. It's easier to remember. But we're going to go through those three words, okay? Starting with remember. Verse 5. Remember then how far you have fallen. The first thing the Ephesian church needed to do that we often need to do is we need to define reality. We need to think about, how did I get to this place where I am now? For the church in Ephesus, from the time Paul wrote to them in AD 62 to the time John wrote to them in AD 90, their love for Jesus had faded. What caused that to happen? You know, as I think about my life as a Christian one of the times of the intense growth 
the most exciting times for me was at the very beginning of my faith. You know, reading, reading Bible verses for the first time, uh, of being in community with other believers for the first time, of seeing affections change and, and my love for things grow that were actually godly instead of sinful. We know we get this sense from verse 4 that this is kind of that first love that the Ephesians were being called to remember. Remember their faith when it was new, when they just started walking with Jesus. See, I think we're called to remember that because remembering the past can cultivate affections and desires now, in the present. You know, when I was a younger Christian, I had, I had this discipline of journaling a lot. Um, I journal every now and then. Now I really want to be better and more disciplined at it. Um, but earlier on in my life as a teenager, when I was a new believer, I journaled all the time. And I keep those journals in my office here at the church. And every once in a while, I'll open them up and I'll read 15, 16-year-old Tony, <laughs> new Christian, and it, it rekindles something in my, in my faith because I was looking at what God was doing in my life then. And that, came, that comes through the practice of just remembering. There's power in that. You know, one of my favorite songs that we sing here at Riv is Come Thou Fount. Now, we're going to sing that in just a little bit here. It's a 250-year-old hymn. And one of the lines in that, in that hymn says this, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Now that line isn't about Scrooge from the Christmas Carol, okay? It's, it's, it's confusing. We're like, what are we singing here? But what that line comes from is from the book of Samuel in the Old Testament. When Samuel, he took this massive stone, and what he did was he set it up amidst the people. And that Ebenezer, it was a stone of remembering. So every time the people would see this big rock, they would remember what God did for them. In the past, how God had intervened, it was a call to remember. The first thing we do, first thing the Ephesians were to do, remember then how far they had fallen. Remember where they were. The second word we see here is repent. That word repent is a Bible word, and what it means is to change our direction. It's a turning from our sin and from, from our rebellion towards God and turning to Christ in faith. It's turning away from that to God. Once we remember where we've been, we take time to really assess where we are right now. And when we do that, we often don't find the place we are to be very, very good. Like, we can find areas of our lives where we're in sin, where we need to repent. I think unrepentant sin has a significant impact on our spiritual vitality. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, talks about repentance when it says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, Do you despise the riches of his kindness? Restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. When we live our lives in that perpetual state of, we don't really care about our sin. <laughs> yeah, I, read, I, I, I hear what this is saying. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. We're rejecting the riches of God's kindness. We're pushing it away. And we're worshiping ourselves. We're living with ourselves 
as the object of our worship instead of God. Whatever that thing may be, sin in your life that you are not willing to give up, that you're unrepentant in, we see here clearly the pathway back. It's repentance. It's giving it up, turning back to Jesus. We remember, we repent, and then finally we react. Verse 5 says, do the works you did at first. To the Ephesians who, who would have read this letter, this was a call to look back at the things that had marked them as a church community when their faith began. The time when Paul commended them in his letter. You know, I spent time just reading the letter of Ephesians this week. It would be a great thing for you to read if you're looking for something to read this week in your Bibles. But you see a faith community marked by godliness. And three things in particular that, that, that popped out to me of, the, of really what Paul was encouraging them to keep pursuing was love, mission, and gratitude. You see it all throughout the book of Ephesians. It's starting in Ephesians chapter 1 with the verse we already read. Remember what it said, Ephesians 1, verse 15 and 16. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. We also see mission, this encouragement for them to keep being missional. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you walk as to how you live your life. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. And then you also see gratitude a few verses later. Be filled by the Spirit, verse 18. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Love, mission, and gratitude. I had breakfast with a friend a few weeks ago. <clears throat> And we were just, we get together, we talk about life and, and family and ministry. And, and he asked me this question kind of out of the blue. He said, Tony, in the last 24 hours, what are two things that you are grateful to God for? And I couldn't answer him right away. And that made me sad. You know, it made me sad because there's a lot of things I'm grateful for. <laughs> but what this revealed, this question was, I don't have a discipline of being grateful of gratitude. And I, and I shared with them the things I was grateful for. And what that did in that moment was it encouraged me. It said, look to God. <laughs> look at what he's doing in your life. And the reason he asked me that was because he has a discipline of doing this every single day. Every day when he wakes up, he looks back at the last 24 hours. He's like, what am I grateful to God for? And then he writes them down. And do you know what that discipline does? It stirs up our affections. It helps us remember our first love, that everything we have from God, we should be grateful for. That's what the question did for me that morning. It set my eyes toward him. Rather than the, the anxieties and the worries of the day, it helped me stop and think there's plenty to be grateful for. The pathway out of spiritual apathy. It's the same for us as it was for the Ephesian church. We remember, we repent, and we react. Now, I don't know where you are today. You may be here today in apathy, indifference, meh. <laughs> That's not a word you would use. 
to describe where you're at. Praise God for that. That's awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. But for some of us, that may be where we are. That may be the state of just our faith, our our lives with Christ as we're sitting here this morning. You know, I'm encouraged because throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus press into this. We see him speak to this issue directly, I think, the weariness and the burden we may be feeling. You know, one of the times that Jesus did this was in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, Jesus had just stopped um, giving this kind of harsh rebuke of certain Jewish towns who had rejected him, rejecting his miracles. But right after that, he, he, he invites everyone listening to him to something. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Over the last few years, this has been a go-to verse for me um, because I've experienced some weariness, some burdens. It's been a hard few years, right, for all of us. But whether it's apathy, whether it's weariness, whether it's burden, don't miss what's happening there. Jesus doesn't say, try harder. He says, come to me. Come to me, all of you, because it's him, him alone, that can provide us with rest for our souls. So whether it's for the first time today or the 500th time today, come to Jesus. My hope is that we just know that real life, satisfying and vibrant and fulfilling life is found in him through his life, his death, and his resurrection for us, for our sin. Wherever you are today, whether you're sure-footed in your faith and you're at the peak or you are stumbling in a valley in spiritual apathy, let us remember. Let us repent and react Remember the love that Jesus has for you. Repent of any places, any sin in your life that's not reflecting God. And then react. Do the works you did at first. Have your life be marked by love, mission, and gratitude. Let's pray. God, I do just thank you this morning for your word, for its power. God, that it speaks to this specific issue of when we're in the valleys of our spiritual lives. God, I think about the Ephesian church how their faith at the beginning, it was new and it was lively and it was all these things. But God, in the midst of doing all the stuff, they abandoned their first love of you. God, I thank you for the clarity that you've given us in your word of 
what we should do in those moments, in these seasons of, of spiritual apathy, of that indifference we may feel. Maybe our outward Christian lives are just out of sync with our inward love and affection for you. God, I pray that you give us just the courage to be honest with wherever we are, maybe with someone in our life this week, maybe just with you in prayer. But God, I pray that you help us remember who you are, what you've done for us. God, that you help us repent of any areas of our life that don't look like you, reflect you and your goodness to us. God, I pray that you help us react to, to, to do the very things that bring us joy, that stoke our affections for you, time in your word, time talking to you in prayer, and time with fellow believers. Those are all gifts to us, Lord. Help us live in those gifts this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.